Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Four in Edmonton. It's Brendan Escott with you today, Friday on Oilers Now. We're talking the greatest guitar players of all time. There's the song remains the same. Jimmy Page wailing away on uh, on that uh, six string. Listen. <laughs> 780-496-0063 is where you send your best argument for the best guitar player of all time. <clears throat> We've had Ted Nugent brought up, David Gilmore, uh, Scott and Calgary making a case for Rocky George from Suicidal Tendencies. Uh, another texter says Angus Young and the late Randy Rhodes. Much more uh, on that throughout the course of the show. How about Pete Townsend of The Who? He has to be in the conversation. Yeah, I would agree with that one as well. But for me, uh, you start at Jimmy Page and you start working your way down. Reed, I don't know how much of a music aficionado you are, but do you have a favorite guitar player as we welcome in Reed Wilkins from Inside Sports, who's very graciously joining us on his final day of vacation, by the way. Well, I guess technically that would be Sunday. I like to still consider the weekend that I would have had off anyway part of the vacation. But that's just me being technical about things, <laughs> as you know I'm often guilty of. I, I love this topic. Something like this is obviously very subjective. There's not really a wrong answer. Yeah. If you like the guitar sound the, the player makes, if you like his or her band, then that's good. You should be able to like that. And if that's your favorite, that's your favorite. Look, for me, it's Eddie Van Halen. I, I like the songs that Van Halen made. Yes, I like songs uh, with both lead singers. I won't include uh, Sharon so much, but certainly with Hagar and Roth. And a lot of that music was centered around Eddie's abilities on the guitar. So uh, I, I would say Eddie Van Halen. I mean, clearly, that's a band that was popular for me growing up. And, and I'm sure for most people who are texting in, it's probably, though I guess you're a little different because you picked a, a band that was around before you were born. But mm -hmm. I, I think for most people, their favorite guitar player and or favorite band would probably be somebody they started listening to between the ages of 8 and 15, roughly, I, I would guess. And that's something that stays with you. Now, I know it's it's well-known Def Leppard is my favorite band, so I'm sure people are saying, well, Reed, how come you're not saying Phil Collin or the or the late uh, Steve Clark, who who died shortly after Leopard put out Hysteria. Here here's the interesting thing about Def Leopard. I I don't think that th that the band has never been about showcasing the talents of one or two guys. Um, and and I think there are some bands that they are more about one or two guys. Um, I, I think with Leopard, it's always been, this is the band. We are a five-piece. They were briefly a four-piece, but they are a five-piece. And it's always about making Def Leopard songs. It's not about, you know, showcasing, you know, well, this one's about the vocalist and this one's going to be about the guitar player. And, and I remember, this may surprise some people, I've, I've watched some uh, 
interviews and documentaries about Def Leppard. <laughs> and uh, in, in one of the interviews, um, I think it was the, the the drummer Rick Allen was saying that when they were worked with Mutt Lang starting, I guess, back on High and Dry, which came out in 1981 and then through the 80s, that he taught them a, a sense of song, that, that it was always about how the song came together. And that, yes, the guitar players could... Uh, you know, pick up guitar and, and wail on it for 90 seconds, and that would be the solo, and it might showcase, you know, brilliance or how quick they could play or how many different notes they could hit. But did that solo fit into the song? And, and I think, uh, you know, with Def Leppard, the, the song always comes first, the structure of the song, it being a cohesive, uh, you know, four to five minute piece of music that sounds like something Def Leppard would make. So that's why I wouldn't identify one of the guys as Def Leppard as necessarily my favorite guitar player of all time. You know, this is an interesting topic because I, when I was going to Nate in the, in the late 90s, there was a, a gentleman in my class by the name of Kevin Dabbs. Um, and, and he was he was interesting. Uh, he he was he was like me. He was a little like we weren't. We didn't go to Nate straight out of high school, so we were more in our mid twenties. So we were a little a little older than most of our classmates. And he had for a while been the drummer in the Mike Plume band. I'm sure some people will remember this. <laughs> and we started talking about you know he obviously knew a lot about music and and everything. So I said, well, like okay, greatest guitar player of all time. He said, well, look. The greatest guitar player is probably some jazz guitarist that 99.99% of the population or more has never heard of. You know, he's some jazz musician who's well-known in jazz circles and is absolutely brilliant and can play written music and can go and, and play, you know, improvise music and, and hit every note and, and knows how to do absolutely everything with the guitar. But he's not part of a mainstream rock band. But the, the, but Kevin said that's probably the greatest guitar player of all time is some jazz musician somewhere. Yeah, that, that totally makes that makes a lot of sense as far as that, you know, talent and accumulating the skills to work your way up to being known as like a literal virtuoso in the musical field of whatever instrument you're playing but uh, the ability to combine that skill with the showmanship I guess is what separates uh, you know kind of a rock star and the, the names that people are texting in right now uh, Les Paul and Wes Montgomery Sean is saying here would be good examples of of jazz guitarists that uh, that maybe I mean Les Paul you know because of the guitars but uh, but less less problem with all the talent. Jeff Beck, Mark Knopfler being mentioned here, Adam Jones from Tool, uh, maybe more of a recent example, and yeah, Ian, we talked about Eric Clapton before as well. So keep those coming in, 780-496-0063, but we'll shift gears here with our headliner. It's Reed Wilkins from Inside Sports, the Oilers Radio Network headliner brought to you each day by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. Just might be the best you've ever tasted. Search for W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. Hockey talk around the corner. But I imagine you've spent a few recent days on the golf course. Uh, I, I wonder, as I look at the headlines here, Reed, and the way that we've now got this sort of division between live golf and PGA golf, <laughs> yeah, and, and one saying that hey, we, you know, we're doing this new innovative thing, and then the PGA is getting mad, but also kind of copying exactly what the Live is doing. So, where do you fall on all of this? To me, the fact that it's in the conversation stream as much as it is is a good thing for the game. Well, the one thing I, I really find interesting about this is that golf is a sport where the players drive the business. 
And we've seen, obviously, certainly in, in hockey, which is the number one sport here, and in other uh, sports, I mean, you, you know, obviously baseball seems to have some sort of labor conflict every four to six years. Um, you know, the NBA is uh, what shortened a couple of seasons, I guess. The end of the NFL kind of seems to keep plowing forward through everything. But I, I look at those sports that I just mentioned, those team sports, and the owners carry a lot of weight. And I know there have been some negotiations along the way where we've said after the fact, oh man, the players actually did pretty well. But, you know, the, the owners, the employers have a lot of power. Well, in golf, the the players are kind of also the owners, right? They gets, it's all about them as individuals. So as, as we've seen, because when the, the live first kind of popped up, I thought, whatever like who's going to go to this it's all about the pga but as we've seen money talks and if they can go get the guaranteed money and and you know the shorter tournaments and the guaranteed cuts and all that kind of stuff well we've seen that guys are going to go do it so so you're right now the pga kind of is saying well how do we keep these guys happy well i guess they get to kind of do the same things um you know i think it's significant obviously what tiger has said and what mcelroy has said I, I think there are a lot of still younger golfers out there you know probably guys 30 or younger who who look up to tiger a lot so his opinion is going to have a lot of say i think that you know it, it's interesting for me brendan I, I like i i like golf quite a bit i i like playing it i like following it sitting down and watching an entire final round of a tournament, I'm still probably not going to do that unless it's a major. And I would guess that there are a lot of people who are the same way. Like, sure, if something's on, you know, over the weekend, I'll watch it, but I'm probably not going to make a point to watch it. Whereas if it's one of the majors, you know, if I'm not, if there's no Oilers stuff going on or whatever, like I'm going to watch the final round or as much as I can. So I, I think... You know, maybe if one of the majors says, look, you have to have played on this tour or you don't get in, then I think that's going to be pretty significant. But but it is interesting to watch. And, and again, it's a reminder that golf is a sport where the players are basically calling the shots. They have a lot of power and, and uh, enough guys have gone to the live tour or talked about going to the live tour that the PGA is obviously going to have to adapt. And I like that the adaptation read is to maybe more of a viewer friendly experience, you know, make play the games or at least televise the games when people are home from work or, or, or put them on and, and have it more of a digestible product. So these cash games that maybe are more akin to what people are actually playing when they're out there on the golf course by themselves. Like I think, if you allow this stuff to happen and you allow the the personalities of the players to shine in a way that I don't necessarily know is is the case right now, and to me, you're growing the game. And, and I wonder if golf's in a position or has been in a position where it can get out of its own way by just embracing some of what's gone on here. Yeah, you know, the, the one, the, when I tell people I watch golf, a lot of people will say to me, well, how, how boring is that? How can you sit and watch it? I've never found watching golf on TV boring. And I've actually argued that until you get down to the final three or four pairings on a Sunday, there's a lot going on because they're always cutting to the most important shot where they're playing it, you know, live from tape. It's something like mm-hmm. a shot that happened a minute or two ago and you're, they're showing it to you for the first time. I actually argue that golf is a great TV sport. Now, I understand it may not seem that way uh, to people who watch other sports or maybe don't play it. I do think playing golf, at least semi-regularly, helps you appreciate what is on TV. But yeah, I mean, is there... 
you know, I, I think match play is great. Is there the opportunity for more match play tournaments? If, if a major is tied uh, after 72 holes, instead of having some sort of sudden death, should they have a five-hole match play or a three-hole match play to decide it? Uh, would that be a, a little more tense? I don't know. I, like, I, I, I guess we're talking about this with a lot of sports. Do they have to modernize? Do they have to capitalize on the perception that there's a generation of, of young people and kids growing up that don't want to – watch something for three to four hours or i guess the final round of a golf tournament you know four and a half hours if you're watching the leaders all the way through like it's interesting to me because i i've never seen the pga tour as broken but but clearly some players think that there's a better opportunity and i guess we're finding out that maybe there's there's audience members who might be ready for some changes as well yeah it's, it's nice to be on the frontier of it and and to me having a, a competition like just even the live being in existence whether the pga wanted to take it seriously or not it's sort of it just by virtue of being there is forcing a, a bit of a change um not sure how much golfing the edmonton oilers have been doing this off season a shorter off season than we've uh, seen in recent years for this team watching them solidify a lot of the main pieces that got them as far as they did down to the Western Conference Final last year uh, a lot of reason for optimism reading that is what I ultimately made the top story today is just how many layers there are to why there's reasons to be optimistic about the team this year you've got exciting prospects who are sort of on the precipice of the team like Holloway for example or even Broberg if you want to catch categorize him there you've got guys that have been on the team now and are ready to take a step up into a bigger role like a Ryan McLeod or a Bouchard you've got those free agents who showed their commitment to this team and of course you've got the incumbents and and two of of probably the three best players in the entire world so when you when you break it all down like that I know we'll see everything ultimately play out in front of us and 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 that'll be the roller coaster ride that it obviously is but You've been following this team for an awful lot longer than I have. I wonder where the optimism is this year surrounding this group versus where it's ever been before. Well, I'm going to start here with a stat. And under Jay Woodcroft, the Oilers had a 724 points percentage in 38 games, so about half the season. If they play 724 hockey in the regular season this year, that's going to be 118 points. I mean, they'll probably win the President's Trophy if they play uh, at that pace under Woodcroft. Now, I realize that's a big if, but I, th- I think the reason for the optimism is that, as you said, most of the team is back, and the one big change is in net, and now we'll see. Um, but, but I think, the, the, I mean, the question about Mike Smith the last few years was his, his health and when he did play well, how long can he keep playing at that level? I mean, Jack Campbell is, is younger and obviously he's committed long-term to the team and he's, he's a pretty good goaltender. But, you know, basically the same team is back that played at a 724 pace in the second half of the season. So the last time the Oilers came off a pretty good year, was from 16-17 to 17-18, and there was a big drop-off. Okay, well, what are the chances of that happening again? Well, let's look back at uh, at the 16-17 season. 
Patrick Maroon scored 27 goals. He wasn't able to repeat that. He never has. He's be, clearly been a valuable player on some very good teams, but he's been a bottom six player. Uh, and I, I remember someone talking to me that that summer saying, you know, can Maroon do it again? Even Clefbaum scoring 12 goals, can he do that again? Mark Letestu had a career year with 16 goals and 35 points. Um, you know, even Lucic getting 23 goals and then he dropped off. Everly got traded uh, and then Strom wasn't able to replace him. And then you look at the 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 year that the Oilers are coming off now, well, okay, McDavid and Dreisaitl had uh, over 110 points. We know that they, they can do that again. Hyman had 27 goals. We know he can do that again. Um, Evander Kane had 22 goals in 43 games. Maybe he can't score quite at that pace, but he's always been a, at least a 30-goal scorer throughout his, uh, his career. I mean, maybe you can look and say, okay, can Yamamoto get 20 again? Can Bouchard get 12 again? Fair enough. I could also say, well, Nugent Hopkins is probably going to get more than 11 if he plays the entire season. So I think the reason for optimism is the team is back, and if you look at their performances from last season, it's reasonable to think that most of the top-end producers are capable of repeating or exceeding what they what they did last season. Uh, moving on to the Edmonton Elks, Reed, just a couple of thoughts here. It's a team that uh, has only been able to win on the road against the East. They've actually won four in a row against the East, dating back to last season. But here we sit... With a 12-game home losing streak intact, they are looking to break that. Does this seem like a good week to not only do that, but maybe in a smaller scale, just put two wins together and keep a little bit of momentum going from one week to the next this season? Well, I sure hope so. I mean, it's it's been tough at, at the home games, and obviously they've. Uh, I mean, they got blown out by Calgary. Two losses to Saskatchewan at home this season. They led in the fourth quarter in both games, not by a lot, but they did lead and weren't able to put it away. Uh, I mean, quite frankly, Brendan, I, I, they outplayed Winnipeg except for the most important thing, punching the ball into the end zone and getting big plays. Um, I might be missing one home game. Well, they got blown up by Calgary. I think I mentioned that. I, I mean, Ottawa's, Ottawa's the worst team in the league. I, I think that we can safely say that. Now, the Elks just got to go out and execute and build on what they did in the final 35 minutes of the game last week. It'll be interesting to see what the Red Blacks are able to do in terms of adjustments and, and Arbuckle playing. But I also think the Elks are probably looking at that past game and thinking, okay, well, we did this and this. Now what plays do we use to build off that? How, how can we even further exploit what we saw in that last game? I, I'm going to say this. like I, I think Manny Arsenault is a huge loss. Um, I, I know that a lot was made in the offseason season about Chris Jones bringing back a lot of players who he had earlier in his career. And I think for most of them, there have probably been mixed reviews. If you look at Lacey and, and Deron Carter and, and some of those players, Manny Arsenal has been really good. I know he doesn't always get a ton of receptions, but when he gets that ball, he is turning up field and he is running over you if you're in the way. And then I think those are kind of momentum uh, lifting plays. Like I, I know there've been plays at Commonwealth where the crowd's just been ignited because he will kind of just try to go through a guy. Hopefully they beat Ottawa. Uh, it, it makes the home and home against Calgary interesting if they could even win a game there. It's just, I, I wonder if we're going to get to the end of the year and it's going to be those two losses to Saskatchewan. Because, you know, if they would have won one game against the Riders, they're tied with them for fourth and hanging and they're in the crossover spot with Saskatchewan if they would have been able to get one of those two games. But like I, they're they're not a great team, obviously. Um, they're probably 
I mean, they might even be the sixth best team in the league if you kind of look at, at power rankings and, and who they've beat and how they've been able to do it and how they played against some of the other teams. I just think so much of the, the league this year is going to revolve around Winnipeg, BC, and to some extent Calgary, though they've shown that they can't beat uh, beat Winnipeg. But it, it, it seems to me like there's kind of those three teams that have separated. You probably got Saskatchewan and Toronto. Uh, as the fourth and fifth best teams. And then I think Edmonton, Hamilton, and Montreal might be kind of comparable. And then Ottawa is probably at the bottom if I were to do, to do the rankings. But tomorrow is a huge opportunity. I mean, you got to jump on a very beaten up team here, a team that has shown it can't win games. Great to hear from you, Reed. Uh, welcome you back to work with open arms on Monday. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, buddy. Thanks for having me on the show. Right on. It was a pleasure. Reed Wilkins from Inside Sports, enjoying a nice, uh, relaxing summer before a very, very busy hockey season for him. Reminder, the guests on this show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night out on the town, every meal and occasion at Roos Chris Steakhouse. Best guitar player of all time. Lots of thoughts coming in, 780-496-0063. We'll get to some of those when we come back. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. For Carlos Santana on the text line. This album. Impressive. There was quite a few singles that dropped off of this one. I think it came out in about 2000 or so. So that would have been obviously way later into Santana's career. But he he sort of re-commercialized himself and was able to bring that same guitar flair, but uh, but uh, differently, right? Adapting, I suppose you could say. Uh, Richie Blackmore, another one, Deep Purple. We've been getting a lot of that on uh, 780-496-0063, talking about our favorite guitar players of all time. Uh, this this texture says, did you guys say Slash or am I just drunk? I'm also drunk. We did say Slash. We did say Slash. That was a Derek, uh, that was yep. a Derek Scott one. <laughs> uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan is on here again. This is uh, from Nick in a Truck. He says, the most underrated guitar player and his favorite, Keith Scott. He's the lead guitarist for Brian Adams. He's actually on a skid steer right now, is Nick. Appreciate you tuning in, Nick. Uh, yeah, we were going through the Reckless album the other day here on the show. I mean, like that is that is just hit after hit after hit. So interesting stuff. And yeah, after, after of course, after having Reed on, we're getting a lot of Steve Clark love as well. Gonna bring it back with uh, with 
Plenty more musical tones here on this Friday. Mark Spector is certain to weigh in on his favorite guitarist as we move forward. Also, a little bit more on the Oilers, the World Cup that is tentatively scheduled for February of 2024, what that means for the league, and much, much more still to come. Spector and then Ched's Dave Campbell to preview the Elks and Red Blacks after the 1.30 news. Right now, though, we'll send it off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell.